Merry Christmas. Good to get to celebrate the birth of our Savior with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I want to say a special welcome. Thanks for coming and, and taking, uh, taking time out of a really busy day, I'm sure, uh, to come and, and be together with us today. I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, while you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. One, uh, at this time of year, we do a special year-end offering. And uh, what that means is that everything that comes in through the offering today, as well as next Sunday, uh, is going to go into a special offering, which will go into, uh, right back into our community. We've designated four different organizations that are doing uh, good, important work here in our community. And so all the money that comes in this weekend and next is going to be sent out to those four different uh, agencies. And so if you have more questions about where that money is going, we'd love to share those with you. Uh, our Facebook page has lots of information about those offerings. Or you could email us and we'd be glad to connect with you. But just know that everything you give today is going to go right back into our community. So please give generously this weekend and next. Uh, also in the new year, we're starting this, this year. Uh, if you weren't here at the beginning of the year, we, we put out a challenge to read through the entire Bible in one year. And uh, it was, it's, that's a big challenge. It's not an easy task, but, but many people took that challenge and completed it. Next year, uh, we're going to go a little bit easier on you, and we're just going to read through the New Testament together. So if you weren't here last January, but you're here now, you, it's not a bad time to show up. You got the easier of the two challenges. But we are excited to get into the Bible together in 2024. And so if you want to be a part of that, uh, there's information in the handout that we gave you on how to sign up to be a part of the reading through the New Testament challenge that we're going to do in 2024. And so please let us know if you want to participate in that. It's going to be a great year. As good as 2023 was, uh, I really think God's going to do great things here at Redemption Church in 2024. So looking forward to doing that together. That should have given you time to find Galatians chapter four. I just want to read four verses. I want to start in verse four of chapter four and read through verse seven. After I read the text, we'll pray together and jump into the message. It reads in Galatians four, verse four, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Would you pray with me as we consider this text today? Father, we love you. We thank you for sending your son into the world to be our savior. I pray that that, that, that truth, the truth of the gospel, would take on even greater meaning in our lives as we look at your word together here today. God, please open our eyes to see the wonder of this gift that you have given. Please open our hearts to receive the gift of salvation that you have provided for in the sending of your son. And I pray that in all these things, you would be glorified here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas, Christmas is a, it's a complex time of year, right? Full of expectation, anticipa anticipation for the big day tomorrow, opening gifts together, but also the anticipation of being together and, and being with people you love and maybe even being together with some people you, you don't love. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's, it's complex. It's not a simple time of year. And, and as you grow older, it seems to become somewhat more complex. And yet, the one thing that is not complex is the simplicity of what God has done in sending forth his son into the world to provide for our salvation. And so today I want to focus on that. I want to focus on the expectation that has been met amidst many expectations that may not be met. I want to focus on the promise that has been fulfilled and the salvation that is available because of what God has done. First, we have to, we have to recognize that, that Christmas is the fulfillment of thousands of years of promise. And so anticipation is something that's very natural to the Christmas story. It's because that for, for thousands of years, God had been promising to send a, what was often deemed in the Old Testament, a Messiah, a Savior. And then we come to this text, which says when the time came to completion, and that means there was a lot of time before the coming of Jesus during which the time had not come to completion. And that was, that was a season of anticipation. That was a season of generations of men and women living and dying, having not seen the fulfillment of God's promise. And yet we have this privilege of being on this side of God's promise we have the privilege of seeing the fulfillment of what God said he was going to do. We have the privilege of seeing the son whom has been sent into the world to be our salvation. And so I wanna, I wanna reflect on three different aspects or three different truths of this fulfillment of God's promise in sending forth his son. If you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, you'll notice on the back, there's a place to fill in the blanks there to make it easy to track with where we're going. The first, the first statement you'll see on the handout is this, God who is able to save us. That sounds perhaps to many of us a little bit simple. Jesus is the son of God able to save us. Yes, that's why we're here, right? But however, we don't wanna overlook the importance of holding to that belief and that conviction because if we truly believe that, then that will change the way we live our lives. That will not only change the way we approach the Christmas season, it will change the way we live every day of our lives. And so I wanna ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus was no ordinary man? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And if so, do you believe that he is actually able to save you? Some people believe half of this statement. Some people believe Jesus is the son of God but don't embrace the idea that he is able to save them. Some people say, oh, there's no way I could be forgiven. You don't understand what my life has been like. Jesus couldn't possibly want me to be a part of his eternal family. They may, some, some may, may accept the, the, 
the, the biblical truth that Jesus, it, he comes from God, he is the son of God, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means that he is the son of God, and yet reject the idea that his, his offering on our behalf was enough to save the worst of us. I wanna contend that not only is Jesus the son of God, but he is able to save. Let's look at the text together. Verse four said, when the time came to completion. Again, thousands of years of God setting the stage, preparing, you know, many historians have, have articulated why this was the ideal time for Jesus to come into the world. The Roman Empire's taken over the known world at the time. For the first time in history, there was roads sufficient to travel throughout the entire Roman Empire, throughout the entire known world so that the gospel could spread quickly. Whereas in any generation previous, it would have taken decades, maybe hundreds of years for the gospel to spread. But at this time, the, 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 the road had literally been paved so that the gospel could quickly go forth and for many other reasons. But all that to say the time came to completion and God did what? He sent his son. He sent his son into the world in, in an act of the most gracious gift that has ever been given God sends forth, not a created angel, not a, <laughs> I don't know if, if this is accurate or not, but not someone disposable to him, but he sends his son. He sends his son into the world to be our salvation. What does it mean that Jesus is God's son? I think that's worth thinking about for a minute because if you were to come up to me and say, hey, I wanna introduce you to my son, I know exactly what you mean. This is a biological descendant. You, you, you played a part in the creation of this child whom you have raised to whatever age and stage of maturity they're now at. I know what you mean if you say this is my son. But that's not what the Bible means when, when it says that Jesus is God's son. God did, did not create Jesus and raise him to maturity. Jesus is part of the eternal Godhead. He always was, just as the father always was, so was the son. And so Jesus's birth on earth 2,000 years ago is not his beginning, it's merely the beginning of what we call his incarnation, his coming to earth, his putting on human flesh. What it means that Jesus is God's son is one, it means that they are of the same divine essence. Jesus would often make this point during his earthly ministry that he and the father are one. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. They, were claim, they knew he was claiming to be God. That's why they wanted to kill him because they believed he was blaspheming. And he was blaspheming unless it's true. Unless he was right, unless he was telling the truth that he and the Father are of the same divine essence. But it means more than that to say that Jesus is God's son. You see, God's son is a title that is given to him because of his obedience in doing the work that he was sent to do. God would often 
refer to those whom he commissioned to do his work as his sons. Adam was considered God's son. Israel was considered God's son. David was considered God's son. These are not, these are not biological descendants. These are people who, who are declared to be God's son because of their obedience in doing the work that he sent them to do. You see, in biblical times, sons would often grow up to do what their father did vocationally. If your father was a carpenter, it was likely you would grow up and be a carpenter. If your father was a metal worker, you would likely grow up and be a metal worker. If your father was a farmer, it was expected that you would grow up and be a farmer. And in this sense, Jesus is God's son because he's doing the work that his father sent him to do. He's united with the father in 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 his intention to bring salvation to mankind. And so God sent his son. This is simplified a bit in the most well-known passage of scripture, John 3, 16, which says, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the message of Christmas. That this is the way that God loves the world. He sends his son. He gives his one and only son. The one who's not only of the same divine nature, but the one who is united with the father in his desire to accomplish this salvation. The giving of eternal life. And so when I say Jesus is the son of God who is able to save us, I mean this is the most important theological statement of the entire Bible. That Jesus is the son of God. That's who he really is. He's not just a man who did impressive things and therefore his his identity sort of got exaggerated. No, he's the literal son of God. And he is able to save. Further, you'll see the next thing on the handout is this, that Jesus, though Jesus is the son of God, Jesus became the son of man. He became the son of man to complete the work of saving us. Before Jesus's coming to earth and being born to Mary, he was the son of God and he was able to save us. But there, there is by necessity the, the, the need to come and actually take on the flesh of man and complete the work of saving us. It was not enough for God to want to save us. It was not enough for God to desire to save us. He actually needed to act in order to save us. And that's what Galatians 4 tells us he did. In, in the middle of verse four, it says he was born of a woman. It's so easy to just rush past that. But just try to stretch your imagination with me for a moment and imagine the humility. In some sense, the humiliation of Jesus, who is eternally God, willingly submitting himself to the limitations of becoming a human baby, to 
to, to momentarily forego the ability to, I think in some sense, think cognitively, to communicate verbally, to, to act independently, the, the humility of, of Jesus, the Son of God, to take on flesh and to become a child, to become an, an infant, totally dependent upon the care and the nurture of his creation now. He is born of a woman. Furthermore, he's born under the law. The law represents the covenant that God has made with mankind that says that in this way, you can, you can be made right with God again. You know, when God originally created mankind, he created us without sin, but we rebelled. And by rebelling, we, we broke the relationship that we have with God and thereby need a way of coming back to God. And the law was given, the Old Testament commandments, the law was given to say, do these things and you can be reconciled back to God. The problem was nobody ever did do those things. And nobody ever could do those things. And so Jesus humbled himself. He's not only born of a woman, but he comes, he's born into this system defined by the law by which he must perfectly obey God in order to be declared righteous. And so he's born of a woman, he's born under the law, and he does this to redeem those under the law. He comes, what this means is he comes and he lives the life that you and I are supposed to live. He obeyed the Father in all things. He always did what was right. He never sinned. He always did the right thing. I missed this for so long as, as a young Christian. I, I, rec I understood that Jesus died for the penalty of my sins, but I didn't understand that Jesus lived to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. He lived the life that I still have yet to live. He lived the life that I can't possibly live, a life of perfect obedience. And he did this to redeem those who are under this law. That's why Romans 8 verse three says, for what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, what, what we could not do because of our weak flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Not only is Jesus God and able to save, but Jesus became the son of man to complete the work of salvation. The work of salvation was not just Jesus dying on the cross. The work of salvation was the entire 33 years of Jesus living obediently to God the Father. He came and he became the righteous man that God requires and yet still died a sinner's death to satisfy God's need to punish sin. And in that way, he completes the work of saving us. Now, what does all of that mean? What all of that means, the third thing you'll see on the handout, is that Jesus then makes us sons and daughters of God when he saves us. 
Not only is Jesus the son of God who is able to save us, not only does Jesus become the son of man to complete the work of saving us, but Jesus makes us sons and daughters of God when he saves us. The the passage continues on in Galatians 4 to say, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now understand here the the, the male language in this passage extends to both male and female. In fact, some translations will even say sons and daughters. The translation we're using simply uses sons, counting on us understanding this includes both male and female. So that we might, re- Jesus did all of this. He's born, uh, he, he's born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we, we, us, us right here, might receive adoption, that we might be brought into his family. And, and, and Paul goes on to say in verse six, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Now, that Paul's, we're kind of jumping in the middle of, Paul's argument, or rather his illustration here. He's making an illustration from language that would have been very familiar to them in that day. And he's using the illustration of a man who has an inheritance that he wants to pass on to his son. But his, his son is not yet old enough to receive that inheritance. And so Paul is making the comparison of until that son is of age, he's, he's essentially no different than a slave. And you can't think what we often think of as slavery, the early American version of slavery. The slavery that Paul had in mind that was much more common in his day was more indentured servanthood where you were unable to secure a job or to secure a way to provide for yourself. And so you would attach yourself to somebody wealthy and they would meet your needs and you would work for them. But regardless of that, Paul's, <clears throat> Paul's making an illustration out of something that's maybe, maybe a, a, the language we would use is that of a trust, like a trust fund. Someone who has a, a, a lot of money and they want eventually their children to inherit that, but they don't want their children to inherit it prematurely. If if a wealthy man dies, he, and he, say he has $10 million, he wants to pass on to his son. If he dies while his son is five, he doesn't want his son to receive that $10 million then. He's probably gonna go out and buy $10 million worth of Legos or something. And so he establishes a trust. And the trust sets parameters. A, a, a trust defines under what circumstances this money should then become the inheritance of the son, right? That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. And what he's saying is that for, for, for 2,000 years, God has been, been speaking in terms of promise. He, he established a trust. And the law has served as the parameters of that trust. And until the law is fulfilled, there's no receiving of the inheritance. And thereby, he's saying, those who are set to inherit this inheritance are no different than slaves. They don't have ownership. But what Paul's saying is, 
Now Jesus Christ has come. The terms of the trust have been satisfied. And now we are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. We are brought into an inheritance. Do you see that language here in Galatians 4? God has made you an heir. He he has written you into his will, just as if you are a true son or daughter. What Jesus is set to inherit through his faithful obedience and life of righteousness, what Jesus is set to inherit because he actually obeyed the Father is gifted to you and I who have not obeyed through his saving grace. We are brought into the family and we are adopted as sons and daughters. And this adoption is so thorough. This adoption is so complete that God actually sends his spirit into our hearts so that we call God the Father by the same name that Jesus calls him. Let me explain that. It, it says in, in verse six, God sent, his, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So we have all three members of the triune God here working for our adoption in this passage. He sends his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And the result of this, the result of the spirit coming in, and we now call God the Father by the same name that Jesus calls him, we see that demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross. He's praying to God the Father. And in his greatest moment of need, he addresses God by this very name. It's one of the only times in the Bible that this, that this name exists. It's when Jesus is at his, his most difficult moment. Think about that. When you are in crisis, and you call to, let's, let's, let's say your father is alive and able to help you, and so you reach out to your father. You don't say, uh, uh, Mr. Neal, um, thank you for taking my call. <laughs> if you're like me, you say, Dad! Dad, I'm glad you picked up! And that's what's happening here. This is the personal familial name by which Jesus refers to the Father, Abba, Father. This passage is telling us we get to call God by the same name that Jesus calls his Father. You can think of it this way. My, my kids are always welcome to have their friends over to our house. Um, they're not always welcome to stay that long, but they're always welcome to come over. And... Um, <laughs> If you were to come into my house and you didn't know my family and you saw several teenagers running around, you, you might wonder which ones are mine, which ones are actually my kids and which ones are just guests in my home. Well, I could, one way you could find out which ones belong to me is you could pay attention to the, how they address me. What do, they, do they say Mr. Neal or do they say dad? The ones who call me dad are my true kids. The ones who call me, look, I, I feel a sense of responsibility to anybody that's in my home and I would do my best to protect and care for anybody if they need food, would feed them. But 
But there's a difference between the ones that are actually my children. Everything I have is theirs. They, they have a different, they receive a, a, a different response of loyalty from me. And what Jesus has accomplished for us, according to Galatians 4, is that we're not just guests in his home. He's our dad. This is our father. We have been fully adopted into his family. Jesus makes us sons and daughters of God when he saves us. We first have to understand who he is and that he can save us. We then need to understand that he actually did the work necessary for saving us. And then finally, we get to enjoy the result of his actually saving us. And so the question is, have you responded to his offer of salvation? Have you received the greatest gift ever given? The salvation provided by Jesus Christ who came to earth, born of a woman, born under the law, who lived in perfect obedience to God the Father on your behalf. And when he had fully completed what God had given him to do through his earthly life, he went to the cross and he paid the price for our sins so that we could be fully accepted into God's family. So that the spirit could come into our hearts and give us full privilege of being his sons and daughters. What you must do is by faith, believe in and trust in what Jesus has done on your behalf. You must be willing to admit your need for a savior and cry out to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, come and save me. And so before we go back to singing some songs this morning, I wanna ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. If today you feel the need of salvation, if today you feel the need to have Jesus Christ forgive you of your sins, grant you eternal life, and bring you into the family of God, I wanna pray with you. And I wanna ask you to pray in your heart or out loud, something like this. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to live the life that I have failed to live and to die the death that I deserve to die so that I might be saved. Today, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I ask that you, by your spirit, would come into my heart. Cause me, as your word says, to be born again. And cause me to learn to live for you. Today, I receive your gift, the salvation provided through your son, Jesus. Thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.